Hello, everybody. This is Brooke Lurie, and this is the Lurie Law Podcast. With our usual friends, Wilco, in the, in with the, the studio, in the studio today with us is my lovely daughter, Sasha Lurie, who loves Wilco, too, and of course, my wonderful producer, Ari David. Hello. All right. Today. You know, we are talking so much about these days about this uh, George Zimmerman trial, which apparently has just gone to um, to the jury. Yeah, deliberations. Uh, deliberations. Very interesting. Uh, I I followed this case more so than just about any of the other kind of hot button cases out there. Um, you know, the the, the mother cases, uh, the the woman uh, who Casey did, Anthony, Casey Anthony, or the woman who recently, uh, you know, did what she did with uh, the boyfriend situation without getting into details because my beautiful young daughter is here. And it is uh, really fascinating, uh, this particular one, the Zimmerman case, because it's loaded with a bunch of uh, politically charged rhetoric. And uh, as opposed to the previous ones that they were uh, talking, you know, we've been talking about. Uh, they were maybe salacious, the other ones, but this one is politically charged. So when I say politically charged, it's because there was a white man, or what they presume to be a white man, killing a black teenager. And there's nothing like that in the media to get uh, everyone excited and, of course, to charge racism. Everyone is looking for that uh, delicious case where something bad has happened to a black person and it's charges of racism and they want to fight that and it's as if they're looking for that you know pristine story out there of some horrible crime has happened on the grounds of race and they just can't seem to find it remember uh the duke lacrosse case um that was a uh, fascinating case where uh you know a bunch of uh, you know the story was told that uh this terrible thing happened to this black lady uh, perpetuated allegedly by uh, these guys in a fraternity, all white, on the lacrosse team. Wouldn't that be something? What a story. And this prosecutor just decided that he knew what happened and he was going to make a name for himself and he was going to get some indictments and then some convictions and then be reelected. That's exactly what his goal was. Yeah, if he didn't know what was happened, he'd make it up. That's right. And that case got to the point, and we'll talk about Zimmerman in a, mo in a moment, but that case got to the point where, at one point, there was no DNA. They concluded there was no DNA evidence linking those boys to that crime. And I remember turning to my wife at that point and saying, those boys, therefore, didn't do it. They're just going to drop it. I mean, imagine, <laughs> you know, you, it's very hard to hide DNA. Very hard. I mean, if you plan it out meticulously, you would have a very tough time preventing your DNA from showing up in a murder case, let's say. Um, so you could plan it all the way you, to, to town, but you, you would never get to that point. Um, and here in the situation of uh, what those boys allegedly did, uh, to believe that somehow they, they were in a drunken stupor, no less, that they were able to hide all the DNA. Go full CSI exactly. on the crime scene and just clean up everything. That's right. And not a single uh, spe specimen, as it were, of DNA showing up um, was just defied all credibility. And yet this prosecutor continued on with his nonsense. And that was clear to me 
then at that moment that these boys were innocent and that something had to be done. That was the moment. <clears throat> and uh, I just imagine the poor suffering of these boys when the, they were, it was clear that they had been manipulated, uh, that it was, uh, and, and not only that, but that they, not only were they going through the, a criminal indictment, but that it was being showcased throughout the entire nation. And what a story it was. Uh, can you just imagine the fear and terror they, they must be facing to say nothing of the legal fees that they had to incur and, and boy, legal fees are certainly expensive. So, um, that's, that's what happened there. Now, uh, now the great news about that story, and I love this and I'm really not somebody that enjoys seeing somebody suffer or somebody have a uh, difficult time in their lives. Except for a guy like this. This guy, his name was Nifong. Rob Nifong. Yeah, that's right. He was the North Carolina prosecutor. Or Durham County. Dur yeah, the pro yeah not, not, not for the state, but for the... Yeah. But, but he was a North Carolina uh, prosecutor. And he kept on going. And uh, finally, he was forced to resign. Somebody else took over the case and eventually dismissed the case because there was no evidence. And, um, and then, of course, there are state bar proceedings to... Um, disbar him and I watched those proceedings and I I liked that he was disbarred didn't he wasn't he also prosecuted for malicious uh, prosecution or prosecutorial misconduct he, as well well he should and be I, I, I think I, he, I think he did a little bit of jail time too oh I don't know yeah I just don't I know seem to remember that he did well, you know, for the pain that he caused those boys, yeah, yeah, I think he deserved it. Because isn't there an obligation on district attorneys or prosecutors to only seek justice, not vengeance? And That's if there isn't sufficient evidence, it's their obligation to drop the case. That's exactly right. It's um, And look, you, you're entitled to make mistakes. You're entitled to be aggressive. But if you know and you had no reasonable basis to move forward with it, and it's truly political as it was in Nifon, uh, you know, and everything's a smell test at the end of the day. And uh, the state bar did not believe him. Uh, he had no real defense. And uh, whatever he had uh, against him, he had coming to him. He was a bad man. Yeah. And uh, he'll be man, running for office in New York. Probably that's right. Exactly right. Months. There's one district Along that with allows Wiener him. and Spitzer. Right. That, that, that there's certainly a certainly one, one district that would would, in, uh, would <laughs> embrace, embrace him. him. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's so sad. Right. <laughs> Now, going to the Zimmerman case, you know, it's, it's not quite as bad as, as what happened in the Duke Lacrosse case, but it's something very similar. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I disagree. I think it's uh, even worse. You do? Really? Yeah, because it's so much, it's so obvious there is nothing. Right. I think in the Duke Lacrosse case, I think the police who investigated at least submitted to the district attorney's office, well, we think there's something here. Right. It's not like this case where the police were testifying for the defense. Right. I mean, it must be hard enough to convict someone that's, of murder when you have the police presenting evidence and saying, yeah, we caught this guy. Yeah, that's and, a good you know, There's blood everywhere. That's right. Rather <laughs> than going, hey, he right. didn't do it. That, that's true. Uh, there was a clear black-white issue as well, and, uh, and, and the Nifong wanted to run for re-election. Uh, but I suppose you can say any prosecutor wants to have some, that, you know, that feather in his cap that uh, he got this great conviction. And, and what we now know also, to add to your point, Ari, uh, is that the original police commissioner uh, was forced to resign at some point, or he did resign. Yeah, the sheriff was fired. The sheriff. Yeah. Uh, but originally, uh, that sheriff who, who was fired or resigned, I don't know, uh, he, um, he was told to make an arrest. Yeah. Even though 
Uh, he did not feel that there was a legitimate basis for such an arrest. He was told to make an arrest. And uh, that is really bizarre. This is a very strange society we live in where if you are going to have, I mean, we have a firm, essentially we have affirmative action and crime now. Affirmative action right. justice. Truly right. qualified social justice. Right. You know, the word justice with a qualifier. Right. If you, if you had this exact same situation, exactly the same situation, if, and, and the, the, uh, the security guy was uh, black, you know, killing Trayvon Martin, who was black, then we, you wouldn't be hearing this news at all. It'd be, it would just be a, a local newspaper situation, and probably no charges would have been filed in the first place. Uh, and that's and, probably, and if he was, if Trayvon Martin was white, say his name was yeah, uh, Trent Martin, right. no one would have ever heard of him. Right. If it was white on white, if it's Asian upon Asian, <laughs> uh, whatever, or right. if it's, uh, you know, whatever it is. It, but the fact that they try to make it, you know, originally white on black, that's what deserved the news. And uh, that is a horrible situation because what that means is, and I'll tell you a story that I had uh Recently, it's not a not a huge story, but it, it's it's an impact story. Um, I belong to a, a, a sports club, and you do too. Uh, I where, know nothing about this place, <laughs> nor what goes on in the locker room or the steam room. Right, uh, <laughs> but as you know, there is uh, one of the perks of being in that executive um, club of the of the gym is that you get fresh fruit and coffee and tea and things of this nature. Okay. And, uh, that's and just to save of, me half clothed. That's right. Okay. That. Let's not go there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but you know, once in a while from the regular area, uh, in comes some guy who's not part of the executive club and he manages to sneak in because there's a security code and he manages to sneak in because the door is ajar or whatever. And he goes in and he, uh, takes some fruit, takes some, some fruit. usually he takes some fruit yeah. and an orange, uh, an apple. Some, something, yeah. you know, some, some goodie that he otherwise would have to pay for. And then he leaves from the other side of the door. There are two doors. And, um, and most of the time, in fact, all the time, uh, the guys who are there will say, hey, dude, stop. You can't do that. That, that ain't right. And don't do that again. Right. You, you know, give it up and get out of here. What's your name? You know, we kind of do a self-enforcing thing. And if there's one of the, one of the guys from, from the club there, who's, you know, then they'll ask him to handle it. But if there's nobody else, and there often is nobody else, we'll do it. One day I was there. I was alone. And in walks uh, somebody from the general area as well. And I don't recognize him from the executive club, but maybe he's a new guy. And he, but he walks in. He's very surreptitious about it. And uh, he just you know, pockets some oranges and apples and then goes immediately out the other side of the door. But he's black. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go talk to this guy and say, stop. And I thought to myself, Nope. I know. <laughs> Don't you dare. That's the last thing you want. And uh, I just saw all of a sudden uh, headlines. <laughs> right. Oh, you know, this was done because of racism and such. Like, I, I just never. And then I would have to start explaining to myself, no, I've stopped white people to eat. And do you believe Brock Lurie or don't you believe, you know. You know it's a scene from a Stephen Bochco show. Yeah, basically. exactly right. It's suddenly I'm in the press. And I don't need it. I don't need it if, you know, for the sake of saving a couple of oranges. You know, it's this is not saving my kid's life. It's not saving any any of my own personal money or anything else. But it, it made me think, like, to what extent uh, am I going to be reluctant to rescue somebody who is being poorly treated by someone who's African-American, let's say. 
and to get involved in that and to go get into a fight all of a sudden. And somebody will take a video, as they always do, right? And they'll clip the video as they please, and they'll see me fighting with somebody of a different color, and boom, I'm on the 11 o'clock news. Never mind my, the, the, the thing that prompted the whole thing. All of a sudden, my name will be synonymous with uh, a racist engagement. Incident. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we don't. Nobody wants that. I'm, I'm a family man. I, I don't want that. I don't need that notoriety. I just want to have a good life and everything else. But I, I think to myself, what a shame. You know, people won't be able to step up and say, "Stop doing well, that." Well, the, the bigger issue is assertiveness and initiative are driven by momentum. When we feel momentous, a, a certain momentum takes us in the direction of acting self-actuated. We're mm-hmm. more likely to say, hey, what's going on here? Stop that. Don't do that. Or help the little lady across the street. Right. But if you suddenly feel, or, you know, the classic example, you see a girl, not us because we're married, but you see a girl in a place and you don't think she's pretty, you need momentum and initiative to say, hey, right. I think you're pretty. Can I get your phone number and, you know, make... Right. Magic happen down the road, or right. however you want to, you know, right. imagine scenarios unfolding. Anyway, it takes a, a, a certain amount of assertiveness, and when you're sitting there thinking rather than acting, it diminishes the momentum one has in taking action, right. and then you wind up passive. And being passive is one of the most dangerous things you can become as an individual, where you have to protect yourself in a society and as a society that, especially in America, where we have an assertive society that is a, a land of liberty and justice for people because people are assertive and don't let uh, bad things happen. Right. Well, and, and imagine from a cop's point of view, every time that they go uh, pass by a neighborhood and they see something bad occurring by, it happens to be a black person, um, and you're a white cop, or maybe you're yeah. two, you and your partner, your, your, your partner cop are both white, and now you go arrest this black guy. And you put him in the, you know, the back seat of your cop car, and all of a sudden they say, oh, "Okay, this is racism. This is racism. This is something you have to deal with now. This yeah. is it's it's madness." An example of it last week with the the dog they had to shoot. Some dude who's black acts like a knucklehead. His dog acts like a dog, and it's a right. knucklehead's dog. So the dog threatened the police. The police shoot the dog because they had to. Right. And now. They're getting death threats. Now these guys have been put on administrative leave with pay, but they want to be on the streets being cops, protecting people. Right. But now the community is less safe because four cops are off the street because there's essentially mob rule sp- spurred on by the media and right. hysteria. Yeah, this is what's happening. And uh, this is the, you know, the, the consequences of some politics. The consequence being that you, you're, you're going to have different justice for different kinds of people. And... Uh, Obviously, we don't want that. This is supposed to be a law, a land of equal justice for all, not uh, depending on the color of your skin. So uh, we started off, maybe not started off, but we talked about this notion of affirmative action in the criminal context. Uh, and it, we should never give somebody greater rights or presumptions based upon their skin color. Uh, what an odd world we live in, indeed. Um, I remember also the uh, that famous uh, woman judge that decided that she was not going to convict or sentence a man to jail because he was black. And she said, as though knowing that what she was about to say was going to be well quoted in many newspapers, I will, I will not be that judge who sends yet another black man to jail. No yeah. matter what he did. That's right. Yeah. So A platitude, not a fact. It was a platitude. Yeah. And uh, it was 
such a bizarre statement. And of course, she let this man go. And this man, this man happened to be a crazy guy. And he went ahead and he then killed five people at a Burger King. Just, just went to a crazy place and went to a crazy fit and killed all these employees. Um, thank you. Mrs. Judge. Yeah, uh, that's one of those cases where you can point to that judge and say, that judge killed those people. Yeah, but for, those, but for what she did, um, she had the capacity as a gatekeeper to prevent this man from doing what he did. He was clear, and, and the original crime that for which she was lenient on him, in fact, released him, uh, was a horrific crime in and of itself. So here we are. That's the society we live in. And uh, had he been white, uh, she would have thrown the book at him. Likewise, by the way, if you are white now, and you uh, are confronted with the crime, uh, you are likely to get a harsher sentence just to show, uh, to, to be an example. That uh, justice is equal. That's right. That, right. The, that the prosecutor is going against a white person, you know, equally, in fact, giving him a, the chair. Right. So and speak. the bottom line of all this is when you have non-equal justice, you have injustice. That's right. You have lawlessness. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote the note lawlessness because that's what I wanted to ask you about, which is, you know, because we see these cases going both ways, both cases that don't exist being prosecuted by prosecutors who definitely know better. Who, the, the prosecutors in the Zimmerman case, they know there was no evidence. Right. In the closing arguments when the guy was going on and on and on, the prosecutor in the, I believe, the rebuttal closing arguments, and he kept calling the six foot 280-pound, 17-year-old Trayvon Martin a little kid, little kid, little kid, referring to Skittles, Skittles, Skittles. I, I came up with the idea that Skittles is now the candy for thugs and criminals everywhere. You know? <laughs> this thug sponsored by criminals, <clears throat> Skittles. Um but you have that on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have cases like the Justice Department not prosecuting the Black Panthers in the voter intimidation oh, case. So, so on the one hand, they're prosecuting cases that shouldn't, that have no basis at all for, as you said, an affirmative action prosecution. And on the other hand, like the judge who refused to sentence that another black man who went on to murder the, the Burger King victims, you have cases that are open and shut. I mean, just... You know, simple ones, and they drop them again because of the affirmative action, and it results in complete lawlessness, which turns yep. into anarchy. It it all sounds nice uh, at the at the beginning of the for that one moment where you say another I won't send another person of this color or that color to jail or whatever it is, whatever the platitude that you're about to say. But if you don't think about the consequences uh, of how this would play out and how this impacts justice altogether, uh, then we truly are going to have a lawless society. That is the beginning of lawlessness. Uh, there are many ways to chaos, my friends, uh, and there's only one way to justice. And justice is so powerful in the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic. As we say, justice, justice you shall seek. Right? We say it twice. We don't say it once. We say it twice right. because it's so important. And that's really the only reason why we say it twice. Uh, it is our essence to seek justice. Not social justice, but justice. No, not qualified justice. Yeah, not just, qualified. Just Justice. Yeah. You and, know. and we make a big point. Yeah. And America used to make a big point of how justice is truly blind. It should be blind. It should not favor the rich. It should not favor the poor. It should not favor your color. It should favor color. nothing but truth. It should, it should not favor your color. It should not favor your, uh, your, your political persuasion. Uh, it should only ask what is the truth, what is right, and what is wrong. And then we can feel comfortable with it. Yeah, and we will do our best to achieve that. And we're going to fail sometimes because we're flawed human beings, of okay. course. But we will do our best to achieve it. Now, let's go back to Zimmerman for a second because um, I, I want to talk about a different aspect of it as well. 
And it's, it's so super interesting to me because, and as I said, this is one of the few cases I actually did follow. And in the Zimmerman case, um, they really had no basis to move forward with him. And oddly enough, um, you know, when you're a lawyer, you, you, both in a civil context and in a criminal context, you think about, um, you know, the various causes of action under which you might be able to nab, you know, pursue liability upon somebody. And so you, you, you say X uh, and Y are applicable causes of action. Okay. And then maybe Z, you know, Q. And, and you want to be careful. You want to kind of throw out a broad sweep because just in case, uh, it's going to, you, you'll cover something. And that means, of course, you, you, you can't be reckless about it. But, for example, a breach of contract uh, that might include not only a breach of contract, but a breach of the covenant of good faith and fair dealing. Uh, sometimes, depending on the circumstances, if you can't establish the contract, you might want to say that there's an oral contract, even though, because you, you're wondering whether or not it will be considered a written contract. So you say breach of oral contract and breach of written contract, and sometimes negligence, sometimes uh, interference with business uh, relations. They're, they're what we call different legal theories, right? The same thing is true in, um, so you want, to, you want to be encompassed as much as you can that's within reason. You don't want to allege fraud, um, for example, when, it, when it, you're dealing with a breach of contract. You're not really saying fraud, because fraud is a different animal altogether. Um, but you want to try to be as expansive as possible within reason. In the criminal context, however, and not, not however, but similarly in the criminal context, as a prosecutor, your job is to um, make sure that for the same set of facts, that you want to have all the possible things that can play in, um, you know, that, that can relate to that particular criminal act or alleged criminal act. That's why you have murder, manslaughter, uh, murder three, right. uh, physical abuse. Even involuntary yeah. manslaughter. You want to have it all because you want to have some sort of charge against this guy. So to the extent they don't get first-degree murder, I'm not talking about Zimmerman now, yeah. but just a you know a generic kind of murder. And you think it's first-degree murder, so you say, okay, first-degree murder. That's obviously a much higher um, burden of proof to, for the prosecutor to meet. But if you can't do that, well, then, then make it second-degree murder. If you can't yeah. do that, make it... Voluntary manslaughter. If you can't do that, make it involuntary manslaughter. Or criminal negligence criminal or negligence. even assault with a deadly weapon resulting in a fatal injury or All those whatever, things. whatever it is. So you can have different counts. I think they call them counts. And you try to be as broad as possible within reason. Like I said, here the prosecutor did something very interesting that happens from time to time. He only did second-degree murder. He knew he couldn't do first, I mean, the first degree didn't apply. But he did second-degree murder, which is a very high standard to meet. He did not do voluntary manslaughter. Did not. Okay? This is an impact about what I'm about to say later. Uh, now, why would the prosecutor do that, assuming that he is uh, a reasonably competent prosecutor? He did it because he only wanted the jury to get, he wanted them to not give him a lesser charge of voluntary manslaughter. So he thought, well, we'll just do second-degree murder, and we only give them that choice, and therefore they'll be swayed to just give second-degree murder. I find that to be a very contemptible way of, of uh, prosecuting cases. I think you need to give the option to the jury. It's not for you to decide. Um, and uh, so they just did second-degree murder. Now, here's what's interesting, and I said I was going to talk about this. Uh, I think it was two days ago, maybe yesterday, that the judge said that she's going to 
uh, also add account for voluntary manslaughter. Now, there are many things wrong with that. Um, one you mean is like that, moving the goalposts at the end of the game after yeah. the other team won? <laughs> Something like that. She Changing saw, the rules that we're playing football when we started out as baseball? Well, <laughs> you know, that, that, that kind of thing? That's right. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. You're a defense attorney, okay? And you have been, through the entire case, defending against second-degree murder, second-degree murder, second-degree murder, Okay. The, the prosecution hasn't met its uh, burden uh, to prove this element, that element. That, that's your whole thing. And you've done it for the entire case. So, and it's not just, not just a trial, of course. You've been preparing for months before then. Yeah, pre-trial, discovery, think, all yeah. those things. I think it's been a year, yeah. right, since for all this to be happening. And now all of a sudden, literally on the last day of trial, she says, oh, yeah, yeah, involuntary manslaughter. That's fine. And what a heyday for the prosecutor because – and, and the reason why the judge did it is because the judge, I think, correctly saw that this jury wasn't going to, to do this. So the judge was saving the prosecutor from himself. Well, but no, the, the, the prosecutor took that risk. He said, I only want second-degree murder. And now that things are not looking so good for second-degree murder, now he's basically thanking the judge for saving him from himself. It's not fair uh, that the prosecutor has all these weapons in its arsenal uh, and, it, and, and the prosecution needs to hang on its own decisions. That's what I believe on this, because that's how powerful the government is. Uh, and likewise, it's not fair to the defense, because they've been, they've been preparing for only one kind of And what if account. they expose their client to a manslaughter charge in mounting the defense against this higher burden, and they haven't covered that in their evidence? That's right. What are they supposed to do? Ask a hostile judge, well, we need to reopen the whole case and litigate all those witnesses again. That's right. Uh, now let's let's go back and do this all over. Now they may argue that uh, the evidence as presented is cumulative, so it, you know you need to prove they proved A, B, and C, or at least they'll argue A, B, and C. And I'm I'm using my hand to make a kind of a staircase effect: A being the lowest one, B being higher, C being the highest. Uh, and and you meet all those elements. Well, then you've got second degree murder. But if you take away C, which is the highest step, and you only have A and B, well, that's voluntary manslaughter. And therefore, it's not really a big deal uh, to just uh, to allow the voluntary manslaughter because it's really the same proof and the same evidence. Not so. Um, the, the whole tune of a discovery, although it seems like logical like that, the reality is that people don't uh, prosecute cases that way and people don't defend cases that way. This is unfair. I think it's, uh, it's actually very ripe for appeal if uh, Zimmerman is convicted of voluntary manslaughter I think that is an easy appeal. Well, also in, in past shows we've talked about appeal process, how they don't relitigate the evidence, they litigate, or they the appeal is a litigation of the procedures. I, I thought that in the very beginning of this case, where the prosecutors refused to turn over evidence in discovery to the defense, uh, isn't that an appealable oh, for factor sure. immediately? Let alone all the conduct from the judge. Uh, I, I love it how a couple of days ago the judge question, is questioning the defendant. His representation, his lawyer says, you can't do that. The judge overrules him. The judge then says, you know you have the right to remain silent. He goes, yeah, and then asks him a question. Zimmerman could have just been silent. How do we know that the judge would not have then contradicted herself and when he refused to speak because he now has the right to remain silent, throws him in jail for contempt? Right. No, I, I'm, I'm with you. That's, that's, that's another example of, of something that happened there. That's appealable. I, yeah, that's appealable. Um, the... Um, and why did the judge do this? I think that the judge did it because 
she felt that some sort of conviction was necessary, either for social purposes, or maybe she personally believed that Zimmerman was indeed... Oh, Barack, mis- please. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It, was, it was personal purposes. She was promised a Supreme Court appointment by <laughs> oh, Obama okay. if right, he's convicted right, or right. something like that. All right. I guess, of it, course. Either, Sorry, separate, either it's separate. for social purposes or she personally believed that Zimmerman was, in fact, guilty. If that's the case, then that's the case that she believes that he was guilty. But that doesn't mean that she gets to tilt the, tilt the scales. Uh, and if she feels more likely she's doing it for social justice purposes and she's doing it because she wants a conviction, uh, what she's doing then is she's, she's convicting him simply because he's not black or because the victim was black. And that, that ain't right. Um, and that's she, as bad as Jim Crow laws. It, it, that's true. Well, it's, a, it's, applying affirmative, it's applying affirmative action to the criminal context. And uh, it should not be done that way. She should simply say, look, Mr. Prosecutor, uh, you want a second-degree murder. You didn't even ask for voluntary manslaughter, and not that I would grant it, but you, you pursued this case. It was your decision. And at this point, I have to say, sorry, but uh, no second-degree murder. Uh, sorry, no voluntary manslaughter. And that's what, that's what you decided. That was, a, tac- that was a, a strategic decision on your part. And uh, you have to live with it. And uh, they don't want to live with it. They want to be able to make the mistakes. And this judge kind of interfered. And, um, I, you know, God knows what she's actually thinking. Um, so maybe she wants to be the judge who presided over the great Zimmerman case. And she, gave, she got a conviction. And she feels good about that. And justice was performed and so on. But the reality is it's highly appealable. What's interesting also, and I think you brought it up very well, which is that they really presented no evidence whatsoever, none, um, to really suggest that second-degree murder and voluntary manslaughter are not even uh, applicable either for the same reason. It's, um, it, it just ain't there. Um, and then the fact that they, they kind of ascribed him, uh, described him as being a little kid when, in fact, he's obviously a big teenager – I mean, this, that's a huge age difference. It's one thing when people kind of uh, fudge their age on uh, Match.com, right, to make themselves a little, a little <laughs> great, younger. Great analogy. Right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you fudge it during that age, you know, between 10 and 15 or 12 and 17, as the case is, um, that's a huge difference in the way you appear, your size, your maturity, your everything, Right. Um, you know, whether you shave or not, I mean, you, you can become a very, intimi- you can be a very intimidating 17 year old. It's very easy to be that way. Right. Have you seen the guys in, uh, you know, high school football programs yeah. in Texas dealing yeah. with some big, big fellas, yeah. you know, 280 pounders yeah. in some right. cases. But 12 year old, 12 year old is 12 year old. Right. And, uh, yes, there's some 12 year olds who are bigger than other 12 year olds. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're not as big as 16, 17, 18 year olds no, who easy. shot up and yeah, are so so, than adults. so this this kind of disingenuous behavior by the prosecution to use that and to make him seem like an innocent victim. We now know exactly what what was going on, and 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 of course, and here's what's very important: all criminal cases involve the question of reasonable doubt, right? Reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt, reasonable doubt, and everything seemed to focus on this one tape where they hear uh, "get off me" or something like that, or something like this, right? And they, they say it five times. I think it was get off of me. And then the question becomes, well, who's saying it, right? Is it Trevor Martin or George Zimmerman? And depending on who you believe, it kind of sways you one way or the other. The answer to that, and the defense caught, caught that very well, is so what? Um, you don't know. And if you have a reasonable doubt, which you should, <laughs> it's basically a 50-50 call. 
And there's no way you can say beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, that does not, that will mean you are in perpetual reasonable doubt, right. which means you can never get to conviction on any of this. Right. There's, a, there's another point that I just don't hear brought up enough. They might have raised it in the trial, uh, but I haven't heard it in the media, which is this. What kind of person who intends to murder another person calls the police before or during the crime? Right. When, when has that ever happened in the history of murderers? <laughs> well, that's first-degree murder. Uh, Second-degree murder is more passion-oriented, right, where you can, you're limited only to the circumstance, you know, I think like within a 10-second zone. It's, it, and obviously, it changes. It could be nine seconds. It could be two yeah. seconds. Um, but, but the point is the but, idea of stalking and hunting down, which was all part of the prosecution's actual case, right. you know, in the closing arguments. He stalked this child. He hunted him down. He child. followed him. But the guy who stalked, hunted, followed is the guy who called the police. That's right. What kind of person stunts, uh, stalks, hunts, and follows and then they doesn't did. intend on getting away with it? Right. They, they did raise that point. It's a good point. Uh, and they did raise that point because they're, you know, the fact that he did it shows that he was responsible. And the the funny thing is, and I heard it on the news program today, an analysis of it, and I think they were right, that all this stuff doesn't matter. Like the fact that he chose to actually confront Trevor Martin, uh, the or fact got that, out of his car. Or or, got out of his car, all yeah. that stuff. It, it's totally irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What matters is once they were engaged, what was the right thing to do? Did he reasonably fear for his life? That's that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's all it is. And and what he was thinking that day, and you know, if he got if he had too much sugar that day, I, nothing matters. What matters is what he reasonably believed. Was he fearing for his life? If so, at that moment, now of course George Zimmerman. You know, if you were asking him today, he would say, "Gosh, I, I wish I never confronted this crazy guy." Um, of yeah, course, but he clearly. Was... But it's not. This is not about bad decisions. Uh, whether George Zimmerman made a bad decision in confronting the guy. That's not what this is about. Right. It would be as irrelevant as trying to charge the deceased Trayvon Martin with assault with a deadly weapon. Although he, he, as the evidence shows, probably beyond a reasonable doubt committed assault with a deadly weapon, he's now dead. Right. His fist in the concrete being a deadly weapon. Right. The, the you know, the, the, the equivalent, uh, sorry, a, an equivalent uh, parallel to that story is to say, okay, well, a scantily clad woman with just a bikini, very sexy, goes into a very bad neighborhood and suddenly finds herself assaulted. And uh, then the, the naysayer says, well, she should have never gone there. Didn't she know what kind of trouble she'd get That's into? Right. Yeah, so, and, and the feminist would correctly say... Uh, no, rape you know, is rape. Rape is rape. It, it doesn't matter. It, you, know, all, you know, what was it? You know, did this guy force himself upon this woman? And that's that. It doesn't matter what time of day it was, where it was. What she or looked how, like, what she had on. Yeah, all those stuff. things. And that's how you evaluate a rape case, and that's the correct way to evaluate an assault-slash-rape case. Uh, and the way you evaluate um, uh, second-degree murder or in, a voluntary manslaughter is that moment the two people are engaged in, in, a, in, a, in, in a confrontation, and did he fear for his life? Period. End of story. Doesn't matter what the circumstances that led up to it. So I think that the prosecution has a tough case here. Who knows what the result will be? I think from everything that I've seen is that it should be an acquittal. I'm hoping for an acquittal because I think uh, at the end of the day, and the prosecution, it, it was shameful. I don't know if you saw the closing, but they, they, they hearkened to Martin Luther King, uh, hoping to um, summon uh, his great legacy into this as if somehow by convicting uh, George Zimmerman, they were um, doing great justice for 
uh, in the name of uh, Martin Luther King. It's really despicable. Yeah, and they went on and on about Skittles and ignore this person's lies and inconsistencies. And if you can't get over her lies and inconsistency, you, people on the jury, you are racist. Uh, it's just shameful. Yeah. And think about what that does to, you know, responsible people in the black community who are shown this person who's clearly a flaky witness. And it's like, wait a minute. What about her responsibility to become educated, not lie on the stand, That's take right. an oath and, on a Bible and swear to tell the truth and then not do it? Yeah. I mean, That's right. What, what, because the people of a certain group don't have to be held accountable anymore? What kind of idiots are we? You know, what kind of idiots do those group of people think we are? But, but, to, but we have it being played out to, not just in the black community, but in just about every – so, so many different groups, uh, minority groups, Hispanic or otherwise – but we also see it in the Muslim community right now. If you, um, if a, if a Muslim community wants to have uh, Muslim garb uh, paraded in the streets and they want to build a mosque, uh, nobody's going to challenge them, right? There's an affirmative action going on there too, yeah, right? But if you dare want to build a church or a Walmart, right, a church can help you. That's right. And if and if if that church uh, wants people to dress in long sleeves, for example. That they, that's what they want and expect of people who approach the church, right? Just we, please approach a church with respect and don't wear shorts. So if you're in the vicinity of it, don't wear shorts. Um, um, so that's the way it's going to be. Um, and they would, they would be upset about that. And they would, they would parade in the streets and they would protest about that altogether. Anyway, this has been a pleasure to talk about. Uh, a very disturbing situation that we're seeing in... Uh, in the world today, um, what we've uh, noticed uh, or called affirmative action in uh, the criminal context. Not the a criminal good... justice system. That's right. Not a place where we want to be. This is Russ Lurie, and this is the Lurie Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.